open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6 as we look at what it means to progress spiritually tonight. This chapter, as you know, we've been in Hebrews, but this chapter in particular talks a little bit about the difference in maturity and immaturity and growing in the Lord, which I'm calling spiritual progress, and a regression, which would be a lack of growing in the Lord. And so I want to take a bit of a, just a positive focus on it tonight and really look at and encourage spiritual progress. You know, I've been thinking a lot about um, how we chart our progress in so many other areas. I mean, for those of you that are pregnant or getting pregnant or have children, you are being measured, as is your baby, the moment you have that first pregnancy test. You're measured against standards and developmental stages, weak this, weak that, it's this size, it should be this size. And it's amazing how even before we're born from in utero, we are being charted and our progress is being recorded. We do it with our health. We, if you have an app or a journal, you, you write down what you eat, you mark it, you record calories, you think about calories. Maybe you don't do this. <laughs> Maybe we all should do it better. Um, but we, we, we set goals, right, and we chart our health. We make progress, hopefully, in those areas um, and with our body. Definitely we see this in the work environment, the career. I think a lot more men probably are measured by and with certain job promotions and titles and all that kind of thing, but we as women have that as well. There's a bit of a hierarchy and a standard and a measurement, and we do our best to you know, chart the progress of our success at work. Um, we do it in our marriages. Hopefully you're taking stock in your relationships and your marriages year in and year out, and hopefully you're seeing growth, that you grow to love your spouse even more than that beautiful day that you got married. You know, there's, there's value in taking stock in something and seeing whether or not you're growing. Um, obviously, as with anything, there's always a negative side. Just like with a quarter, there's two sides to a coin. And so there's definitely a negative performance-based side of measurement and progress and, you know, not feeling like you measure up or you hit the standard. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about progression in the sense of growth. And to look at growth in all those areas and ignore it in our spiritual area is a mistake. And unfortunately, I think this happens. I don't know of a lot of people, number one, that know how to chart their spiritual growth, growth, but number two, that really do. You know, do you have goals in your walk with the Lord? Do you know Him more intimately than you did when you began, than you did last month? Are you in communities that are challenging and pursuing you to grow in your knowledge? Have you grown in more of your understanding of the scripture and just the way in which Jesus reveals himself? You know, these are the kind of things I want you to think about in terms of progress tonight, spiritual progress. Because the greatest thing the enemy would love for us to do is to remain babies and to, to remain needing milk 
And Paul, who I think personally, that that's not biblical, but I think personally he wrote Hebrews. But here he is making a statement and he, he, references, he references it a couple of times having to do with babies and milk. And there's a beautiful season to that. As again, if you have children, you realize that they, they only can take milk in the beginning. They're not ready for solid food, right? But if they were only to stay with milk, they would never mature and grow in a healthy manner the way they were intended. And so tonight, I, I really believe God, through the book of Hebrews and our time together, is continuing to give us a personal invitation to grow, to graduate, to the next grade, to deepen your understanding, to deepen your friendship and your relationship, your dependency upon a living and visible God, Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you into that. And the first way that I want to do that, I just want to pray. I want to pray um, because only the Holy Spirit can be the author and the father of growth. And so, Heavenly Father, would you just accelerate growth in the lives of every woman that hear this? God, would you illuminate her heart? Would you enlighten the scripture? Open her eyes? Let her heart be fertile to receive truth that would not just land and bounce off, but it would land, take root, and transform her to where she can noticeably measure and see and experience and know that she is growing in you. God, thank you that you don't put us on a performance track and at the same time, you love us enough to never leave us the same. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we begin here, I want to define for you maturity really quickly. Maturity means moving forward to achieve the goal and purpose God intended. The maturity we're talking about tonight is not some arbitrary measuring stick that you're using to base your spiritual growth on. It's not honestly even based on maturity. Is is got a movement to it, and obviously a forward motion. If you're moving backwards, you're regressing, and that would be going back towards immaturity. But maturity is is got this motion in it, but it's a targeted, narrow, very specific movement forward towards something. And that something isn't what you set. It's not what you define. It's really what God intends, what he's already set before time. And so the goal and the purpose that God has for us, which he knows, by the way, he knows that for our our bodies, he knows that for our personalities, for our relationships, our careers, every day that we set foot on this earth has been ordained by him. He knows the plans and the purposes he has for us. Jeremiah 29 11. So he is a very intentional God. And if he's going to mature us in the things of him, then it's going to be by his terms for his goal not for some arbitrary thing that we set. So I want to make sure that's clear tonight. And just a few things that I personally wrote down, I encourage you to make your own list, um, of God's intentions. So what is it that he's intended for us? 
And I'm getting these from really the entire thread of scripture. If I gave you verses for each one of these, it would be a page long each, most likely. So this is um, literally just the heartbeat and the thread of scripture from cover to cover um, in a very kind of brief form. But God's intentions for us, one, this is in no particular order, he wants us to intimately know him. We see that honestly from Genesis 1 all the way through. He wants a restoration of relationship, not just religious rituals. We see it. We see it everywhere. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. Even today, currently in the church, we see God through the Son doing a bit of a revival in the churches, bringing people back to a relationship with Him versus just dead orthodoxy and knowledge. So He wants us to intimately know Him. That is a purpose. That is a goal of God to intimately know him. And ideally, these intentions I'm going to give you that God has for you hopefully would be your own. Hopefully your intentions would line up with with that of the Lord's. But it isn't always true, is it? Sometimes we have goals and purposes and intentions that have nothing to do with what God would have for us. And we may think that by those standards we're maturing. But I want to set it clear tonight that the standard is set in his word, in his ways, in his purposes. That's what we get to look forward to maturing into. And the first one is to intimately know him very personally. Second one, he wants us to obediently follow him. It's pretty clear. (laughs) Take up your cross. Follow me. Put down your nets. Follow me. Delayed obedience is disobedience, ladies. He wants an immediate obedience in our following. He doesn't want this wishy-washy, one foot in, one foot out, straddling the world and straddling the pew of a church. He wants us to obediently follow him. This is his intention. So he's going to mature us in these things and he's going to use different methods which we'll discuss later in our study of Hebrews and how he matures us into these these goals and purposes. Third, he wants us to joyfully surrender to him. Oh man, this is a big one and it is in so many stories and parables and even the words of Jesus himself. The way he modeled joyful obedience it says that he, he, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And even in this book of Hebrews, it says that though he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. So there's a, there's a value to learning surrender. And usually it's the suffering and the pain and the tension of life that teaches us surrender. And God's goal and purpose to mature us deeper towards is to joyfully surrender to Him. Let go. When you can't figure it out, when the bottom of life is coming out from underneath you, let go and joyfully, don't dig your heels in necessarily and question and complain and freak out and pry your fingers open, but joyfully surrender to Him. That's His design. It's His intention for you and for me. Fourth, he wants us to consistently believe him. Again, if I, if I gave you every verse on faith and belief in the scripture, it, it would be way more than your notes tonight. But the key here is he wants consistency. 
Our God is the God that's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He is unchanging. He cannot lie. He is perfect, and He is steadfast and consistent. And the whole big church word of sanctification really is another way of saying being matured enough to where you take on more of Him. You look like Him. Jesus consistently believed the Father. He believed his character. He believed the best. He did not assume the worst. Oh, ladies, how guilty can we be of assuming the worst about life and about God sometimes versus believing the best. The believing that his character is true, that his loving kindness is everlasting, that he is full of grace and slow to anger and full of compassion and mercy. This is our God. May we consistently believe him. Last, or, you know, not least, and definitely not the end of the list, but just what I had written down here, he wants us to patiently become like him. That whole idea of sanctification, he is using life and tension and joy and pain and marriage and infertility and children and parenting and jobs and waking up at night and going to sleep. I mean, he's using every single thing in life to mature us to move us forward towards these goals and purposes that he intended before time, ultimately, to have us become more like him. For us to take on, to put on more of Christ. Not that we're lacking him at this moment. It's not that we have to go and obtain some new part of him. But we need less of us. (laughs) That needs to diminish. And the Christ that takes up residence in us needs to be more and more exposed to the, to the watching world, really. So we're diving into Hebrews 6, and um, it opens up with the idea of maturity. But right there at the end of Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14, he, the author talks about going from babies to men, or to women in this case, from babies to women of God. What does it look like, right, to advance out of the state of milk-fed only infants and accelerate into the state of a word-desiring and devouring woman. It's a a lot of words there, but that's what we want to talk about. That's what a mature woman is. She is one that is advancing out of the basic need of milk and the stage of infancy, though that's good and that's a great starting point and that's a basic that we have to begin with. But ladies, it's, it's not all there is. There is more intended. And that maturing woman is one who is advancing out of just this milk-fed state of infancy and accelerating by the work of the Holy Spirit, by God himself, through the scripture, through community, through how he chooses to work in your life, accelerating you to the posture of this word-desiring, this word-filled woman, capital W, Word, the Jesus. He is the living Word. You realize that? And He takes up residence in you. And He accelerates His knowledge of Himself to you. And the greater He's revealed to you, the more you are revealed, lady. The more you know of God, the more you're clear on Him, the clearer the view you have of Him, the clearer the view you will have of you and of life and of decisions and of directions and of what next. 
I know it sounds counterintuitive, but the more you can see spiritually, the more you will be able to see physically. You see, we don't live by sight. We live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for us. Though we live this life in the flesh, it's real here and now. I, I get it. There's bills to be paid. There's decisions to be made. But we as believers, as Christians, as Jesus followers, we walk by faith, not by what we see or what we feel. And one who is maturing is realizing that. And, and a bit of that infancy state comes with living by feeling and living by sight. And he wants to mature you and graduate you to living by faith. Faith in Christ alone. So, according to this passage then, as we move on into Hebrews 6, what needs to happen first that growth happens? That maturity occurs? What, what has to happen first? Look in the very first one. Therefore, leaving the elementary principles or the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity. So, you have to leave something to move on to something. You have to leave in order to build. And the leave here is afame, the Greek word for sending forth it isn't just an exiting or a getting rid of, per se. It's a building upon. It's a sending up, a sending out, a sending forth from what you previously were in. You see, you have to have the basics. You have to have the foundation. You have to have the beginning principles, the elementary teachings of Christ, which he's going to go in and define those in a second, basically the, the anatomy of salvation. But that's not all there is in the Christian life. And so he's saying here as the author, in order to fully mature, you've got to send forth. You've got to go up from and build to grow into the better. So what is it that's the elementary teaching? Real quick, stay with me here. He goes into a, to a list of things about laying again, not laying again, the foundation of repentance, dead works, faith towards God, instructions about washings and baptisms and laying on of hands and resurrection. So let me just put this in layman's terms. Basically, he's talking about the beginnings of salvation, the, the, the precepts, if you will, the um, first, second, third grade of salvation, the things that are must-haves, but they're beginnings. And, and so, really quick, I mean, the elementary teachings here, um, I have a few of them written down. Carnality with Christ. Oh, sorry, carnality without Christ. Hello. Carnality without Christ, simply meaning there's a point at which a, a person realizes they are a sinner apart from Christ. They are an enemy, and the wages of their sin is death. There is carnality without Christ. There's a gap, and he has to fill it. So therefore, that leads us to the conviction because of Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, there is a conviction, which simply means a, an, an understanding that I'm not God. I never was, and I fall short, Lord, of your intentions for me, and I need you through the person of Jesus to fulfill in me what you see and desire. And so then it leads to confession, a confession to Christ. So a carnality without Christ, a conviction because of Christ, and a confession to Christ. 
repentance, agreement, agreement with God that apart from him you can do nothing, that you are a sinner who needs his finished, complete saving work, nothing of which you can add to. And then, of course, Jesus is the Christ, okay, which is is not basic in, in any term, and yet, it, in some sense, there are people out there that still don't believe Jesus is Messiah. So you have to believe that Jesus is Messiah. You have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior. He is not one of multiple ways. He is it. And for some of you in this room, that's kind of a dub, no-brainer revelation. To other people, they have yet to come to that. So you have to, you have to come to that. You have to be brought to that place. And, and really, it's by himself. He says in John that nobody can come to the Father except him who draws him. So Jesus actually draws you to himself and to the Father and to bring you into the revelation that he is God. Remember the, the time when he asked, you say that I am. They say so-and-so and they say so-and-so, but who do you say that I am? Every point or every person in life has got to come to that point. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the Christ? or is he not? So these are big topic things. These are big must-haves. So they're not basic in terms of simple, but they're basic in terms of you got to start there. But there's more (laughs) beneath that. And so you move on through some of the rest of the basics. Uh, Forever in Christ, I wrote down, which is obviously eternal life. You have an identity at that point. In Christ, he is in you. You are in him, John 15. That's a way deep one. Okay, so there's there's more to that. It's not just abiding as a simple concept. It, it isn't at all. But these are some of the the elementary teachings that the people, the Hebrews, okay, that the author is writing here, they understood, but they weren't living in it. That they weren't fully adopting these things. And he's sitting there saying, look, these are elementary. Okay, so we got to get these things down. Don't relay a foundation that you already know. Build upon it. Grow. Move on. Get deeper. Long for God more. And let him reveal to you greater in, in terms of who he is. Let him reveal greater things about who he is in you. Um, so those are just kind of the idea here of the elementary principles and um, and so once someone learns that and has those things it's it's not necessary to relay the foundation those are foundational think of a house you gotta have a foundation to build a house but how ridiculous would it be if the contractor built the foundation and said you're good to go welcome home that would be crazy. The foundation is never meant to live on. The foundation is meant to be built upon. So it's necessary, but it isn't the end. It's the beginning. You gotta have it, but that's not where it stops. It's only where it starts. And so that some of those things are, are the foundational things that we have to, to move on from. You know, I think about, it's not that the author is asking us to forget what we have learned about Christ, those of us who are believers. It's not that we forget, but we also don't freeze 
in what we build. We should be moving. We should be growing in and beyond it. Not just freezing in the knowledge of, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, rose again, and I'm going to heaven. In a very flippant, nonchalant way. The author is saying, go deeper. Go deeper into these quote-unquote basics. And you will find out that you can never plumb the depths of God. There is so much to never take for granted. There's so much. So, <clears throat> moving on, it talks about the idea of pressing on in that same verse 1. I know we haven't gotten very far. Y'all should be used to that by now. <laughs> we take apart every single word in the verse. But it says, therefore, leaving these elementary teachings, which we've talked about, let us press on to maturity. So we define maturity, but let's define press on. What does it mean to press on to maturity? You know, the idea of pressing on has got tension wrapped up in that word. Think about it. When you press on through something, you're not just skipping your way through it all. There's an element of of endurance that's needed. There's an element of training. There's an element of, ah, oh, I gotta keep going. I gotta keep going. There's an element of tension and adversity that's hidden in the words. The, the word here for press is pharaoh. I don't know if I'm saying that right in Greek, but pharaoh, for lack of a better term, F-E-F-E-R-O. To carry some burden, to hold up under. To move with the suggestion of force or speed. Think about it. That's what he's saying. I want you to do. Press on. Carry whatever the burden is. Take up that cross. Move forward into maturity with God and in Christ. And yeah, it's going to take some treachery. It's going to take some tension and some trials and some trenches. But press on, my believer, into maturity. Press on through the temptations and the tensions. Press on in your maturing walk with the Lord. Press through. Grow in God. Y'all have y'all heard growing pains, right? Those are real things. Children go through them. I think more male probably than female, but I can remember my little brother growing up who's now like 6'4 and way bigger than me. But I can remember him when he was shorter than me for a season. He would literally have growing pains. He would complain about his legs hurting, stretching, aching. You know, a female goes through puberty in different ways than, than a male. But there is this idea of growing pains, ladies, that are, it's very real in the physical world. Same thing is with spiritual. Remember, everything in the physical world is a, is a matrix. It's a picture. It's a word picture. That God's trying to teach us something in the spiritual realm. You see, we have growing pains in our spiritual walk with the Lord. He wants to grow us and move us on. But it t I'm telling you, it typically takes, because pain can do one of two things. It can shut you down and stunt your growth because you haven't really understood the basics. You don't really believe God is good. You don't really believe he's for you. And so you, you get stuck because of your pain. And you get angry. And you get upset. And you get 
paralyzed by it. Or, to those who are pressing through and pressing on, they can grow through pain. They can grow into a greater knowledge of Jesus than they ever imagined, a greater knowledge of his ways, of their need of him, their love, his love for them all through that potential circumstance they never would have chosen. You see, it's growing pains, and I pray that for you. There's not one of us in this room or wherever you are listening to this that hasn't experienced some sort of pain. Have you allowed God to grow you through it? Or have you stunted the growth and said, no, I want to sit in this pain and get angry? There is a time for anger. There is a time for grief. There is a time for tears. There is a time for questions. God's big enough to handle it all. But let me tell you tonight, there is a time to grow. To grow up and to grow in the person of Jesus. And he wants to move you, ladies, from babies to women. Spiritual puberty, okay? Going from middle school to high school. Transition. Moving up a grade. And he'll only do it when you're ready. But he's the teacher, not you. And isn't it interesting? It's always the teacher's word. It's always the teacher's report. that moves a child forward because that teacher knows when they're ready for the third grade or for the fourth grade. And if they're not, what happens? The teacher says you have to repeat this grade. You gotta do it again. Not because I'm mad at you, but because I wanna prepare you adequately. So there is a purpose, that's okay. If God's got you in third grade on some areas, that's okay, that's beautiful. It's him growing and maturing you. But listen, there's more past third grade. And just like in school, if you were to continue to repeat the second grade over and over and over again and not learn those basic foundational things, how much more would you have missed out on? That's not what God's intended for us. He hasn't intended for us to stay in the second spiritual grade. But he will know when you are ready. He won't give you more than you can handle or bear necessarily, but he will give you tension and pain that you might cast it off on him and grow through that in order to see more of him at work and to come into that full intention he has for you. So in your own time, look at the idea of pressing. Look at Gideon pressing the grapes in Judges 6. Look at Philippians 3.14, 2 Corinthians 4.8. The the idea of pressing, pressing on, pressing forward in Mark 3.10. It's a beautiful study to think about pressing on in its connection to maturity, but also its connection to pain, those growing pains. So jump forward to verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 6. He basically goes through what I would call the anatomy of salvation. It's pretty pretty simple, but, but beautiful. Um, he says, you know, look, once you've been enlightened, okay, and your eyes have opened, you've tasted the heavenly gift, you've tasted the good word, you know the powers of the future to come, you're, you're entering into salvation. You're in. 
And notice here there's a couple things, four things. God always initiates salvation. Notice it says, once for those who have been enlightened. Who is the subject that does the enlightening? Not you. God enlightens us. God always initiates, especially salvation. Ephesians makes that very clear. It is a gift that no one can boast. We've been saved by grace through faith as a gift of God that we, that we don't boast. Salvation is nothing we've done on our own. So number one, God always initiates salvation. He sheds the light and makes us see. Number two, we always receive. We're the receivers. We accept and receive his gift of the Holy Spirit, that heavenly gift that we did not earn. But we do have to receive it, right? So the whole process of initiation, revelation, and conviction for salvation is by the activity and the energy of the Holy Spirit. But we have to receive that. Number three, we then respond and act upon the word. Right? So we, God initiates salvation. We receive the gift of his salvation, thereby getting the Holy Spirit fully indwelling us. But then we respond by faith in faith, God says. And he speaks, ladies, through his word. And so we are to be responders living in and out of the word of God. And lastly, we're to believe then the power that he has over the future which states that he's sovereign, you're not. He's in control, you're not. I'm not. But it goes one step farther in this passage. It says, we have tasted the good word in verse 5 of God and the powers of the age to come. And a lot of commentaries that I looked up have really kind of landed on the idea that this is a, a, a statement of belief here. That when you come to know God, you must believe that he holds the future and that the future is good for you and glorifying for him. The power that he's going to exercise in the future and the ages to come will always do those two things. It will bring good to his child. It will, it will, be, it will bring glory to his name. It may not feel that it's good, and it, you may not see the glory of God, but you have to believe those things. That's not basic. That's believing that God is at work, that he is in control, and that everything he does, the power he exerts in the future, in the present, and even over the past, has always been about your good and his glory. So when you know all these things from Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 5, okay, when you really believe that and you're living in that, ladies, it is impossible to fall away. It's impossible to lose your salvation. And again, for some of us, this is a no-brainer moment. But there are many of, of people out there, unfortunately, that live with an insecurity of God's perspective on them. They really live insecure. They really think that God is a judge. They really think that God is angry. They really think that God is distant. And some of them really think that based on what they do or don't do, they can lose the gift God gave them of himself 
and salvation. And it just isn't true. Praise God we don't live by what we feel or what we see, but by what he says. And he says very clearly throughout the scripture, over and over, but even here in Hebrews 6, using a psychological term, the author proves even here in verses 6 through 8, it is impossible to fall away. You may trip. You may have times where you question God. You may trip in life. You may mess up. We're not sinlessly perfect on this side of heaven. But you cannot lose what you did not obtain. You see, God maintains what you have. God maintains because He is the one who authored it. Our role is to believe Him with everything we are, to believe everything He has said, that He is who He is and can do what He can do. We cannot lose our salvation or permanently fall away. And the author here is, is almost getting a little dramatic on purpose when he's talking to the Hebrews and he's using this psychological term of the reduction of absurdity because he's basically saying, look, if you think you can lose that, number one, that thinks that you earned it. And number two, if you think you can lose salvation and the gift of God and Jesus and a right relationship with him, then what you're basically saying is that the cross wasn't enough. And so Jesus would then have to come back literally to earth, die again. I mean, it says all of this in verse 6, 7, and 8. Die again. You then have to put him to open shame again. He would have to offer the gift of repentance to you again. It's ridiculous. That's never going to happen. It's not needed. It's impossible to do that again. And so, he is really clear here that the basics are the starting point, but there's better things beyond the basics. And no matter what you do or who you are, you cannot ever lose the basics. And as you walk by faith, you cannot miss the better that he has for you. In verse 9, it says, Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. I believe that. Beloved, I'm saying that to you. I am convinced of better things concerning you and your salvation. These things that accompany salvation, greater revelations of who God is and his character, greater truth from his word, more understanding of Jesus, more understanding of, of abiding and identity and what it is to surrender and be dependent upon the Lord and him as your source. This is like Harvard. This is the rest of life and we're never going to arrive up learning but there's so much more than just where you began and that should encourage you and give you excitement and hope God is not unjust that he forgets you or your work or your love as it says in verse 10 he wants to show you more of himself and he wants to see you show diligence and hold fast your assurance and your hope all the way through life, all the way through every stage. End well, as it says in verse 11. Do not become sluggish 
in verse 12. Don't get lazy. Don't be okay with the status quo. Look at, look at those who have gone before you. Imitate them. Sluggish here is the Greek word no throws. No throws. Say it. No throws. No thrust. That's the idea. To become sluggish, you lose your momentum. You no longer are maturing. But, but, be, but be imitators. This is in verse 12. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Copy them. Who are they? Go look at them. Hebrews 11 is a whole chapter of the Hall of Faith. Mainly Abraham. And he gives Abraham's example here, even in Hebrews 6. Study their lives. Look at Jesus. Look how he, through faith and patience, inherited the promises of the Father. And right here, I just I want you to know two things. You don't become sluggish, but be imitators. And in order to be imitators, you must believe that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. And you must wait for him to fulfill all that he has said he would. It is not up to you. It is up to him. And as humans, we love to, number one, doubt that God is a rewarder and believe that he's a judger, which for his children is not true. And number two, we love to not wait to get our way and to fulfill God's intentions our way, our time. And that is not what those who have preceded us did. Abraham waited upon God. He believed that he was the only one that could fulfill what he could do. He did not waver in unbelief. He didn't play around with the game of unbelief. He believed God and in fact he strengthened his faith as he gave glory to God knowing he was the only one who could, not Abraham. What a hope. Live like that. Imitate that. That is called maturing in God when you live that way. Ladies, he so longs to show us the heirs of his glory. So much more hope. We are the heirs. Think about that. We are heirs of God. Verse 17, in the same way, God desiring even more to show you the heirs of his promise. How unchangeable his purpose is. How valuable and unaltering his oath, which mainly means his, his word, his promise. Think about how many promises you've had broken to you. Maybe think about how many promises you broke. God's never broken one. And he said a million. His purpose is unchangeable. His promise is unfailing. His, his oath, his word is enduring. His character is consistent. He guarantees what he says by who he is. Man, what a God. He never lies. He never stretches the truth. He never plays with you in your mind. He is transparent and honest. This should give you encouragement, ladies. Every word he has spoken here in this book and over your life confirmed by the scripture, listen, he will make good on it and bring it to fulfillment. He will mature you. He will bring about incredible adventure and purpose and, and goal that he intended. And ultimately, even more, the greatest promise that is yet to be fulfilled is he's, he's coming back. He is returning quickly for his own. And I cannot wait for that day.
when you think about that ultimate promise fulfillment, everything here and now gets way clearer in the proper perspective that it should sit in. <laughs> that kind of hope is the hope among many others that I think verse 19 is referencing as an anchor to our soul. You see, when we have hope that Jesus is coming back, when we have hope that he is who he says he is, that his word is true, that he's a man of his word, when we have hope that it's not up to us to mature ourselves, it's up to him, when we have this hope, you know what happens? Our soul is anchored. Our soul, the inner being of who we are, is grounded, is settled, deep-seated confidence. We're kept calm and still through the storms of life. He is the anchor of our soul. He is steadfast and sure. And that's something we're looking out for and ahead. But that hope can live on the inside of you. That anchor can take residence and hold you fast. Psalm 39, 7 says, For now, Lord, what do I wait for? You. My hope is in you alone. Psalm 62, 5 says, My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is in Him. Oh, ladies, tonight is a night of hope. He is maturing you and growing you, I pray moving you through the growing pains, showing you more of himself beyond just the basics, revealing to you his character that is unchangeable, his promise that is unfailing, and his hope that is enduring, so that you can live a life where your soul is anchored, settled, deep. It is sure and steadfast in the storms of life. Thank you, Jesus, that you are coming back. Thank you that you are the one that has gone before to intercede and to mediate as our high priest forever, as we learned in Hebrews 5. Thank you, God, that you are the teacher, that you are the one who will, who will mature us. Thank you that you will even leverage pain to grow us. We love you. We need you. We celebrate you. You are life. In Jesus' name, amen.